You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, uh, let me ask you this. How many of you have Amalekites? Some of you are looking at me, hey, look, I've been vaccinated, okay? I've got like all my shots. Uh, you know, I mean, you're like, you know, I don't know what Amalekites are, but they don't sound good. Well, now the reason I ask is because uh, one of the key characters in this passage this morning is an unnamed Amalekite. And, and as we look at this passage, it'll help us to remember that throughout the scriptures, the Amalekites are often used as a type, or if you would, as a symbol of the flesh. That is a symbol of our, of our sinful nature. And so in many ways, uh, Israel's struggle against the Amalekites really represents our struggle against our flesh, uh, against our sinful nature. Now, speaking of the flesh, the Apostle Paul said in, in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he says, I know that in me, that, that is in the flesh, nothing good dwells. And so this passage this morning, in, in many ways, uh, reminds us that as, as we're trying to defeat the flesh, it reminds us how important it is to completely wipe out the sins of the flesh. As Warren Wiersbe had warned, the sin that we fail to slay will eventually slay us. It'll be the sin that slays us. And so with that, uh, now as we pick it up in verse 1, uh, we see that, that David had some personal history with the Amalekites. And so verse 1, it says... After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. So now really, this verse is tying things back together with the end of 1 Samuel. Remember, chapter 30 and chapter 31 of 1 Samuel, we saw that the chapter ended with, with the Philistines launching an invasion, launching an attack on Israel, and in the process, King Saul died on the battlefield. Now, meanwhile, as, as that battle's taking place, we also saw that, that, that David and his men have, have been told to go back home. And so they go back to their village in Ziklag, only to find that their wives and their children had been kidnapped by the Amalekites while they were gone. And we should also keep in mind as we look at this, that, that for all intents and purposes, at this point in David's life, David was basically a backslider. He had turned away from God at this point. He was, he was living in the camp of the enemy. He was, he was living in this Philistine stronghold called Ziklag. He'd, he'd kind of turned away from God, but then we saw in chapter 30 that, that David had repented. He, he turned back to God. He's seeking God's voice again. And now having repented, all of a sudden, that's when the Amalekites launch their invasion and their ambush, and they invade the village and, and take away the women and the children. And, and, and by the way, it reminds us in many ways that, 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 that the enemy isn't just going to sit idly by and watch us come back to the Lord. I mean, how many of you have noticed that, that you know, when, when, when you came back to the Lord, you're kind of surprised. You know, you come back to the Lord or you give your life to God and, you know, and you, and you think maybe your friends and your family are going to be excited for you. They'll be so happy for you because, because you're walking with the Lord, only to find out that, that, they're, that they're anything but happy for you. In fact, some of them are, are disappointed. Some of them think you've lost your mind. Some of them even start to come against you and even attack you. Well, listen. If, if you're going to take a stand for the Lord, if you're, gonna, if you're going to, to turn away from this sin and turn away from that addiction and turn away from this lifestyle, you have to remember that the devil isn't going to give you a standing ovation while you do it. He's not going to applaud you. He's, he's, he's going to attack you. It's been well said that, that, that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battlefield. 
And so therefore, it should never surprise us that the moment that you choose to walk away from, from that old lifestyle, the moment you choose to walk away from, from, from this old habit or these old friends or this old hangout, the moment you choose to walk away from all of that is the very moment that the devil often launches his ambush attack on you, just like the Amalekites launched their ambush attack on David. <clears throat> and so David and his men at the end of, 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 of 1 Samuel, they, they, they go and get some revenge. They attack the Amalekites and they bring back their wives and their children. Now, meanwhile, as they're attacking the Amalekites, as I mentioned, the, the Philistines, on the other hand, are invading Israel. They attack Israel. And, and, and as we saw in, in, in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel, a Philistine archer launches a, a deadly blow on Saul. Uh, it, it, it's a fatal attack. It's a fatal wound. He doesn't die, but, but it's a mortal wound. And in that moment, Saul knew that if the Philistines got a hold of him, they would mock him and, torch, and, and torture him, much in the same way that they mocked and tortured Samson many years before. And Saul, Saul thinks, you know what? I, I can't let that happen. And, and so Saul, he, he takes matters into his own hands. He grabs his sword and he falls on his own sword and commits suicide. Because in Saul's mind, it, it was, it was, death was better than whatever the Philistines would have in mind for him. And so all of that is kind of the background behind the book of 1 Samuel. So it's with that background in mind that now as we pick it up in verses 2 through 10, we now have some lessons from an Amalekite. And so in verse 2 it says, And on the third day, behold, a, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. And David said to him, Where did you come from? And he said, I, I've escaped the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did it go? Tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle, and, and, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. And David said to the young man who had told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are, are dead? And the young man who told him said, uh, by chance I happened to be on the Mount of Geboa and, 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 and there was Saul leaning on his spear and behold, the, the chariots and, and the horsemen were close upon him and, and he looked behind him and he saw me and, and he called to me and I answered and said, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me for, for anguish has seized me and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and I killed him because I, I, I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And, and I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm and I've brought them here to my Lord. Now, as we read this passage, some of us might be thinking, no, wait a minute. I thought that, 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 that Saul died at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 31. You know, he was out in the battlefield. He, he gets mortally wounded by, by an arrow and, 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 and then he falls on his own sword. He commits suicide. I thought that happened in chapter 31. So if he died in chapter 31, then what's happening here in, in 2 Samuel chapter 1? What's this all about? And who's this Amalekite? I think it might be like one of those scenes from the movies, you know, like, like maybe the movie Mission Impossible, you know, where, where the villain is trying to kill Tom Cruise again and again and again. It's like he, he thinks he's killed him, but he's still alive. Thinks he's killed him, but he's still alive. Thinks he's killed him, still alive. And finally, the villain's like, you know, why won't you just die? And so it could have been one of those scenes, you know, where, where you know, Saul gets shot by an arrow, but he's still alive. Then he commits suicide, but he's still alive. And now finally this Amalekite shows up on the scene and, 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 he, and he shows up and, 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 and Saul's not dead. He's just mostly dead. You know, kind of like, you know, my favorite movie, The Princess Bride, remember? Where the hero, Wesley, you know, he, you know, he's been tortured to death. 
And, 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 and so his two friends, Inigo Montoya and Fezzik, played by, by, by Andre the Giant, they show up and, 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 they, and they bring, uh, bring him to, 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 to uh, Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal. And they're like, you know, you got to do something. You got to help our friend. He's dead. And Miracle Max is like, he's not dead. He's only mostly dead. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, there's a, there's a big difference between being all dead versus mostly dead. Your friend, he's only mostly dead. And so he shows up and, and, and Saul's not dead. He's just mostly dead. And so now he shows up and puts him out of his misery. Now that, by the way, is, is what many scholars believe happened. That they showed up, he was, he was mostly dead, he put him out of his misery. However, there are just as many scholars, in fact, maybe even more, who believe that, that that's not how it happened. In fact, they believe that this guy's a fraud. This guy's a liar. He's lying through his teeth. You know, uh, the, the, you see, it was, it, was, it, was, it was widely known that David was the next in line to be the next king. And all of a sudden, this guy just shows up like Johnny on the spot, you know, with this, with this hero story, you know, and how, how, he, how he put the, 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 the former king to death, and now he has the crown. And he's like, you know what? Now that I have the crown, I can give it to you. Maybe I'm going to get a reward. And, 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 and yet scholars believe that more than likely, this guy was, was, was probably just some sort of scavenger who showed up on the battlefield after the battle was over and he's kind of scavenging and looking for, for loot, looking for gold or for jewels or for whatever he can find and he just happens to stumble upon the crown. He's like, oh man, I got the crown. I mean, I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, I could make a lot of money. I could take this over to Lefty's Pawn Shop and, and hawk this thing and get a whole lot of cash. All of a sudden it kind of dawns on him, wait a minute. This is the crown. This is like the most famous crown. I mean, where, I, how am I going to sell this? He thinks, you know what? You know what I can do? I could make up a story. I could bring it to King David and, and I could make myself the hero of the story and maybe he'll give me a reward. Maybe a job, maybe a promotion. And so he kind of shows up on the scene with this, with this crazy story. And so, and so some scholars believe that maybe when he showed up on the scene, Saul was alive and he finished him off. Other scholars believed that he was dead and this guy just shows up on the scene and is kind of just getting the loot and, and trying, to, trying to capitalize on a situation, make a little profit for himself. But whatever the case, here we have this Amalekite. Now, by the way, we should ask ourselves to read this as we read this, who were the Amalekites? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, the, 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 the history between the Jewish people and the, and, and the Amalekites is a long, sordid history that goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17, we read how, how the people of Israel had been set free from their slavery to Egypt. And as they're wandering through the wilderness, they're on the road. Typically in those days, they would travel in a caravan meaning that, that the men and, and, the, and, the, and the warriors, they would travel in the front. That way, if there was any danger in, in, along the way, they would be the first to encounter it. They could protect everyone else. It would happen to them first. And so, and, and so they would often face those, those battles. Well, in this particular case, the Amalekites did not attack from the front. They ambushed from the back, meaning that they had attacked the, 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 the helpless, defenseless, innocent women and children, and also the elderly, and also the sick. And, and not only that, also the handicapped, the physically handicapped, and even the mentally handicapped. Those who were absolutely innocent and defenseless, they, they slaughtered them all. And in Exodus 17, we're told that God said he would never forget what the Amalekites had done. Now with that, by the way, isn't that the same tactic that our enemy often uses? Our enemy, the devil? I mean, haven't you noticed that, that he often goes after those who drift behind? Those who kind of lag behind? Those who, who quote-unquote, get out of fellowship? And so in many ways, this is kind of a warning to us of the danger of, of, of lagging behind from the rest of the pack. 
you know, it's been, you know, the, the Bible tells us that, that the devil roams the earth like a lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible also tells us that we are like sheep and that like sheep, we've all gone astray. And so oftentimes we, you know, we, we might say things to ourselves like, well, you know, I don't need to be with the rest of the flock to be a sheep of God. You know, I, 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 can, I can wander off. I can be by myself and still be one of his sheep. And that's true. You, you'll still be one of his sheep. You'll just be one of his sheep that get devoured by a lion because you, 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 you lagged behind. You got out of fellowship. You, you drifted away. You made yourself vulnerable to the attack. Now, again, in the scripture, as I said, the Amalekites are often used as a, as a type, as a symbol of the flesh, a symbol of our old nature, our, our, our old sinful lifestyle. And, 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 and the point is that is just like the Amalekites cannot be reasoned with, listen, our flesh cannot be reasoned with. Our sinful nature cannot be compromised with. There's no reasoning with it. The Bible says that we have to die to our flesh. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says, If you live according to the flesh, you die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that phrase, put to death, uh, in the old King James, it's rendered mortify. Mortify the deeds of the body. Mortify the flesh. That word mortify is an, is an old word that means cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Calculated. It's saying you don't show the flesh, you don't show the, the, the sinful desires any mercy. Why? Because it's been well said that the ruthlessness of sin requires ruthlessness with sin. It's kill it or be killed by it. Take it out or it takes you out. Now, this reminds us uh, back in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember in 1 Samuel 15, Saul was told by God to completely wipe out, to utterly destroy all of the Amalekites. But as we read 1 Samuel 15, he didn't wipe out all of the Amalekites. He kept some of them alive, namely their king. King Agag was his name. He kept him alive. He hung on to one of them. And, 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 and as a result, now we see the, that an Amalekite, perhaps a descendant of King Agag, now comes back and, and either takes out Saul, puts him out of his misery, or at least takes credit for it. But nevertheless, it's a reminder to us that, if, that when it comes to the flesh, if we don't finish off the sins of our flesh, the sins of our flesh will finish us off. The ruthlessness of sin requires ruthlessness with sin. And so now that's what happens in, in these next verses. Verses 11 through 16, we see that David finishes off the Amalekite. He, he, he finishes off this unfinished business. Verse 11, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who, who told him, where did you come from? And he answered, I'm a son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. And David said to him, how is it that you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, go and execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And then David said to him, your blood be on your head. And before your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So now whether or not this guy actually showed up and, and, and killed Saul put him out of his misery, or just lied and, and, and took credit for doing it, either way, it doesn't matter because he ends up paying the same price either way. He ends up being executed. He gets put to death. 
And, and, and by the way, it could be argued that, that in many ways, David was really doing what Saul should have done. David did what, what Saul failed to do. And in some ways, this Amalekite serves really as a, as a reminder of both Saul's disobedience as well as David's obedience. David completed what Saul had left undone. And so in some ways, it's a reminder, listen, if we want to live in victory over sin, over temptation, we want to live in victory, then we need to completely wipe out the sin in our lives. We can't hang on to, to, to even one little thing. Listen, you can't hang on to, to one little addiction because one little addiction becomes another and another and another. Uh, we, we can't hang on to, 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 to one little sin or one little struggle because, because one becomes another and another. They breed. They breed like Amalekites. And so the Amalekites, again, represent our flesh, our, our sinful nature. Now listen, some of the struggles that you and I face come from the devil. The Bible does say we have an enemy. His name is the devil. And so some of the, the things we face, it's, it's the devil trying to tempt us. It's the devil trying to drag us down. But listen, I don't know about you, but I've learned that many of my greatest battles as a Christian are not with the devil, rather it's with my own flesh. And I've often learned that a lot of us, we, we have a tendency to blame the devil for our flesh, our sinful desires, our failure. And we, you know, well, the devil made me do it. You know, and so you slip up, you, 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 you get drunk. You're like, oh, you know, the, the demon of alcohol defeated me again. You give in to some pornography. Oh, the demon of porn got me again. You know, or maybe you're trying to lose weight. You know, it is the first week of January. You made a New Year's resolution. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, the demon of Taco Tuesday got me again. <laughs> and so we, we end up rebuking the demon of this and the demon of that. But listen, much of, of what we call demonic the Bible just calls sin. You know, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, for example, write that down. Galatians 5, 19 talks about the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. It doesn't call it the works of Satan. It doesn't call it the works of the devil. This is the work of your own flesh, your own sinful nature. And it talks about all these sins that we struggle with. They come from our flesh. They come from us. And so in many ways, if, 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 if we want victory, then the very first place that we have to start is to deal with your own Amalekite. Deal with your own flesh. That's the first place to start. And so now as we pick it up in verse 17, down to the end of the chapter, we, we, we read now what is basically a song. But yet this song shows us how to deal with your real enemy. So verse 17 and David lamented with, with, his, with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said, it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it's written in the book of Jashar. And he said, your glory, O Israel, is slain in your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Geboa, let, let, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of, of, of offerings. For, 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 the, for there the shields of, of the mighty have defiled, the, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain and from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, the sword of, of Saul re returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in, in life and in death, they were not divided. They, they were swifter than eagles and they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet and put ornaments of gold on your apparel. 
how the mighty have fallen in the, in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies uh, slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very ple- very, you were very pleasant you have been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. So now it starts in verse 17 by, by saying that David lamented with his lamentation. Now, the word lamentation, it, it's, it's the Hebrew kinach. It, it's a word that can be translated weeping or, or wailing or mourning, but really it describes a funeral song. And as you're singing this funeral song, the, the, the song itself is accompanied with you pounding and beating your chest. And so the picture is, 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 that, is that David is weeping and, and mourning. But listen, he's not weeping and mourning the loss of a, a, of, of a dear loved one. He's not weeping for, for, for a close friend. No, he was grieving and weeping for the man who, quite frankly, made his life a living hell. I, I mean, uh, you know, this is the man who, who had chucked spear after spear after spear after David. And, and, and frankly, because of Saul, David lost everything, Right? I mean, David lost, lost his career, he lost his wife, he lost his reputation. And as a result, David had to spend the last decade and a half of his life fleeing for his life because Saul was hunting him down like he was a wanted fugitive. And now, the man who made David's life a living hell is dead. And let me ask you, would, 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 would you be grieving? Would you be weeping? Would, would, would you sing a song of lament? Tell you what, I wouldn't. I'd be singing, ding dong, the witch is gone. But Proverbs 24, 17 and 18 remind us saying, do not rejoice and gloat when your enemy falls and do not let your your heart be glad in self-righteousness when he stumbles or the Lord will see your gloating and and, and be displeased and turn away his wrath from your enemy. On other occasions, the Bible tells us that, that David was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. And we might ask ourselves, well, well, how can I tell if I have a heart after God? If my heart is a heart after God's own heart? Well, I think one way might be as to whether or not you are able to weep and lament over the death of your enemy like David did. You know, or like Jesus as he's crucified, hanging on the cross in, in, in Luke 23, 34, and he, and he cries out and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Or like Stephen, as he's being martyred, he's being stoned to death, and yet he's able to cry out as he looks up to heaven and he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them in Acts chapter 7, verse 60. It's the heart of God. As Greg Laurie had had said, you are never more like God than than when you forgive. You want to know if you have a heart after God? See yourselves in those moments. But at the same time, I, I, think, I think that David also knew who his real enemy was. You see, sometimes we don't even know who our real enemy is. In fact, I, I, I read that during World War I, Britain had dispatched a, a, an encoded message to, to a remote colony in Africa, and the message said, war declared, arrest all the enemy, enemy aliens in your district. So they replied back and they said, we've arrested 10 Germans, six Dutch, four French, two Italians, and one American. Please advise who the enemy is. Sometimes we don't even know who the enemy is. But David, I think, knew who the real enemy was. Yeah, I mean, sure, Saul tormented him day and night, year after year. Saul tormented him, but, but if you remember, 1 Samuel, we saw that, 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 that the devil was the one tormenting Saul. The Bible says that he was afflicted by an evil spirit. 
You see, this helps us to remember that, you know, sometimes the Saul in your life is not your enemy. He's a victim of the enemy. You see, the Bible tells us that every one of us, that, that means me, that also means you, and that also means the person who's attacking you. That every single one of us at one time were, were held captive by the devil. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. 2 Timothy 2.26 tells us, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And so oftentimes, they're not the enemy, they're victims of the enemy. You have a real enemy. The Bible says your real enemy is Satan himself. It's not flesh and blood, it's this principality named the devil. However, <coughs> we need to also remember that, that yeah, we have an enemy, we, we, we do battle with the devil, but more often than not, we also battle with our own flesh. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You're at war. You are at battle, and it's with your own flesh. Your fleshly desires, your fleshly passions. And so, yeah, you know, I, I think that as a Christian, perhaps some of the greatest struggles in, in your Christian life are not going to come from the enemy on the outside. It's going to come from the enemy on the inside, namely your own sinful nature. And so this passage reminds us that, that while some of us do have a Saul in our life, there is someone in our life who, who's making our life a living hell as they come against us and they come against us and they come against us. Yeah, some of us have a Saul in our life, but you know what? All of us have an Amalekite in our life the flesh, our sinful nature. And this passage this morning reminds us that when it comes to defeating the flesh, that, that we have to die to the flesh. This passage reminds us when it comes to, to, to defeating the flesh, we can't leave anything undone or it'll be our undoing. Again, 1 Samuel 15, Saul's told by God to defeat all of the Amalekites, to wipe them all out. He doesn't. He hangs on to the king. Why? Well, because in that culture, uh, when, when you conquered your enemy, it was very common to keep the king of the enemy alive. Make them your slave. Parade them around for all to see. They were basically your trophy, your trophy king. So he keeps them alive. And it ended up being his own undoing. And in the end, this Amalekite either, either takes him out or takes credit for it. But either way, it serves as a timeless reminder that when it comes to the flesh, it's all or nothing. There's no in between. It reminds me when I, when I backslid. Uh, you know, now a lot of you know my story because I share it like three times a day. Uh, but you, you know my story because, you know, I, 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 got, I got saved when I was almost 16 years old. That's when I gave my life to the Lord. But then when I was 18, my senior year in high school, I completely backslid. Now, the reason for that, however, was because when I first got saved, there was an Amalekite or two that I didn't surrender to God. A sinful desire here, a temptation there, a sinful addiction or habit here, a thing or two that I hung on to. I didn't give it all to the Lord. And then those things began to, to multiply. One became another, one became another, and another, and another. They began to breed like Amalekites. And before I knew it, my senior year in high school, I mean, I, I'm drinking and partying, I'm fighting and stealing, I'm, I'm sleeping around. There's somebody in this room who, who was there with me and, and, and knows this full well. None of the details have been changed and the, and the names of the guilty have not been changed either. And, and just, you know, just, just totally just throwing my life away until finally I hit rock bottom, go to jail two or three different times and, and finally hit rock bottom, get to a place where I'm completely broken and that's when I repent. That's when I come back to the Lord. And when I came back to the Lord, I prayed. And the prayer went something like this. I said, Lord, you know what? 
I, I know that if I'm coming back to you, I need to give you 100%. I can't give you 99% and keep 1% for myself because I know that that 1% will become 5%. And then that 5% will become 25%. And then that 25% will be 75%. And before I know it, I will be 100% backslidden just like I was before. And so it's all or nothing. I'm either all in or I better not get in. I need to give you 100% or not give you anything at all. And so in that moment, I gave up everything, every addiction, every, every, every drink, uh, the, the parties, the, the scene. I, I cut off all my friendships and, and relationships. I was, I was all in with God. I had to be because if I wasn't, I would have gone back. All the Amalekites had to get cut off. And so, yeah, maybe you've got a Saul in your life. And if you do, just remember, they're not the enemy. They're the victim of the enemy. At the same time, your greatest battles aren't going to come from, from the kingdom of hell. Your greatest battles are going to come from your own flesh, your own Amalekite. So are you here this morning, and, and are you wrestling with an Amalekite? You know, some, some addiction, some, some, some sin, some temptation, some fleshly desire. Is there something that you're still hanging on to that you still wrestle with? If so, then I want to encourage you this morning to wipe out all of the Amalekites from your life. Cut them all off. Or in the words of Romans 8, 8, 13, put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. Why? Well, because it's been well said that the sin that we fail to conquer is the sin that will conquer us. Amen? So Father, we, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your word is timeless and it's true. It's, it's, it's as true today as it was when it was first penned on page. But Lord, more than just words on a page, we need these words to burn in our heart to cut in our heart, to perform some heart surgery. Maybe there's some things in our mind that we wrestle with, some memories that haunt us, guilt that plagues us. Maybe there's some habits that we're still involved in, a thing from the past that we still dabble in, something that we've hung on to that we haven't let go of. And Lord, right here, right now, we pray that you would cut it away, that your word that's sharper than a double-edged sword would, would pierce our heart and, and, and cut away anything in us that keeps us from you. It's our heart's desire this morning. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.